You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. This week, we can do better than defensiveness. And in this story of Jesus, I hear the call to lay mine down. Another world is possible, but we're going to have to learn to listen to those whose experiences are less privileged and end the very system of privilege if we're to get there. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love and compassion and justice. This is episode 293, and our title this week is Checking Your Privilege. In Luke's gospel, we read a story of, of Jesus rebuking his disciples. In Luke Luke 1, 51-56, we read, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked him. Rebuked them, and then he and his disciples went to another village. So let's get a little background on who the Samaritans were uh, first this week. To the best of our knowledge, this first century group. They had Hebrew roots, and they focused on uh, uh, Mount Gerizim, and this was as an alternative to Jerusalem, and, and they traced their lineage back to Ephraim and Manasseh of the northern tribes of Israel, and when Israel returned from captivity uh, and attempted to rebuild the temple, Jewish people in Jerusalem, they refused to allow uh, Samaritans to join them in rebuilding the temple, and this was part of a time when 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 the Jewish people feared that their identity it, it was at risk of being lost and and during periods like this uh, hard lines are often drawn between insiders and, and outsiders and, and Jewish rejection of Samaritans that that, that that led to an open animosity between them there was resentment and and even hostile violence between the communities the Samaritans erected their own temple on on Mount Gerizim which uh, the Jewish people in turn then destroyed in, in 130 BCE. So then the Samaritans went and they, they built a second temple at Shechem. But there was there was bitter hatred between Jews and, and, and the Samaritans, and it, and it continued to escalate over the years. The gospel stories were written during this period. It, it was dangerous for Jewish travelers to even travel through Samaria. According to Josephus, it says, Now there arose a quarrel between the Samaritans and the Jews on, on the occasion following. It was the custom of the Galileans when they came to the holy city at the festivals to take their journeys through the country of the Samaritans. And at this time, there lay in the road they took a village that was called Ganea, which was situated in the limits of Samaria and the Great Plain, where certain persons thereto belonged, fought with the Galileans, and killed a great many of them. And that's again from Josephus, his Antiquity of the Jews, book 20, uh, chapter 6. 
politics. So reparation and reconciliation efforts between adherents of Samaritanism and, and Judaism throughout the centuries have, have been attempted. And if you'd like to know more, an excellent summary of, of the Samaritans and the challenges that we have today and even understanding who they were in the first century, you can see uh, the, the entry for Samaritans in Craig Evans' uh, Dictionary of the New Testament Background and Varsity InterVarsity Press, uh, 2005, or Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible uh, 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 from 2019. But but given this history, I find it fascinating uh, that the story, this story of of Jesus rebuking his disciples' violent attitude towards Samaritans. I live in a predominantly white area of West Virginia. I was born and raised here, and, and though we moved away when, when I became an adult, uh, we moved back to take care of uh, my mother, who has since passed away. But I remember a time when a dear friend of mine, who's black, visited us, and as we were walking through the grocery store together, she just blurted out, two. And I asked, two? Well, you know, what, do you, what, what, what does that mean? And she said, yeah, that's how many non-white people I've seen since I've been here. Europeans, they first settled in my little town in the mid-1700s, and, and we just elected our, our first black mayor. So we still have a long way to go in my area uh, of this state in the work of, of, of uh, racial justice. But from time to time, I, I hear people attempting uh, to define justice efforts as reverse racism. And they get upset whenever white privilege is even brought up. And Crystal and I, we were standing with other parents at my daughter's high school. There was an event taking place and and, and we were talking about privilege and racial injustice. And, and one of the dads just blurted out, he said, I'm never going to apologize for being born white. And I shook my head. Crystal tried to help him understand. He, he didn't get it. And, and I, I don't even think he really wanted to. But in the story that we began with, Jesus doesn't take a defensive stance when the Samaritans refuse him lodging. In fact, he rebukes his disciples for their desire to retaliate against what they deemed as inhospitality. For crying out loud, did the disciples actually think that the Samaritans should offer 13 Jewish men lodging given all that Jewish men had done to them? And I want to imagine that Jesus understood that, that he didn't fault the Samaritans, that he knew the Samaritans had a right to set the healthy boundaries they needed. I find it interesting that he he didn't lecture the Samaritans on their need to show him, a Jewish man, some enemy, enemy love. And I want to believe that Jesus understood the, the, the Samaritans' right to self-determine whom they would and wouldn't offer lodging to. And, and social location... Social location matters, and, and I, I want to believe that, that Jesus is not just rebuking his own disciples for being offended, but he's also taking the side of, of the Samaritans. I've worked with multiple organizations in my town that are engaged in, in racial justice work here, and I continually have to, to choose to check my privilege. Sometimes I get it right. And sometimes I screw up and I have to make things right. But, but, but I've learned that what is okay for someone 
in one social location to do is not always okay for those in other social locations and vice versa. At a Christian conference event a couple years ago, a very popular uh, Christian preacher and author, he, he shut me out of the conversation and, and challenged my call to build egalitarian and, and mutual participation in, in Christian circles. And, and later that week, a, a friend who is queer and Latinx, they told me that another white straight male, an invited speaker, they needed to bow out of the panel they were on to allow room for other voices and other perspectives. And my beliefs about egalitarianism and mutual participation in Christian circles, they were challenged again, but differently here. Some would see these as the same thing, but no, social location matters. It's perfectly right for people whose social location is less privileged and whose voices are typically excluded to demand a seat at the table instead. And this is very different from someone whose social location is privileged, uh, demanding their voice be the only one heard. And if, if these thoughts are new to you, a great discussion of the principles of, of racial justice is teaching tolerances white anti racism living uh, the legacy. I'll put a link to it in this week's e-site. But, but answering the question, what are, what are the common mistakes that white activists make when trying to be allies to people of color? Uh, Yvette Robles, uh, she's a Chicana uh, community relations manager in Los Angeles, and she responded, not acknowledging that they have power and privilege by the mere fact that they are white. That is not to say that other parts of their, of their identity can't lead them to feel powerless, for example being white and gay or being white and working class. Another mistake I see is when white activists try to emulate a different culture by changing how they act, their speech or their style of dress. It's one thing to appreciate someone else's culture. It's quite another to adopt it. And Georgette Norman, an African-American woman and director of uh, the Rosa Parks Library and Museum, she added to the discussion, the most common mistake white activists make are setting an agenda with the illusion of inclusion and having to have a franchise on comfort. God forbid a person of color says or does anything to make white activists feel uncomfortable. That means there can be no discussion of race or and no challenge to their privilege, which means no challenge to their power. And 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 Sajal, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Sajal Patel, a South Asian American woman and community organizer in, in South Asia immigrant communities, she answers the same question: White anti-racists make a mistake when they shut out the poor and uneducated and keep in those in the know to decide what's good for people of color. No movement can work where there is divisiveness. Also, if people of color want to have their own space and place in certain aspects of society, say for a weekend or for a month, they shouldn't have to feel like they're being exclusive for doing this. White activists need to understand that society is their space and place every single day. They shouldn't feel threatened or left out. This last statement, it, it reminds me, it brought back to our story that 
this week. I interpret Jesus in this story as acknowledging the degree of Jewish power and privilege he held in contrast with the Samaritans in his society. He respected their space. Jesus wasn't offended by them protecting their space. In fact, he rebukes his fellow Jewish male disciples for for taking offense and becoming defensive or or even offensive. The, the, The disciples could have found they, they could have responded. They could have found biblical examples to use to justify their retaliation, uh, their, their calling fire down from heaven. They could have used Elijah's words in, in 2 Kings 1.10, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. They could have appealed to other stories like the tales of the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah or even the, the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens, Genesis 19.24. They could have used these biblical stories. Jesus could have also become defensive and chosen to use any of these stories against those who had received, who had been on the receiving end of Jewish violence. But he didn't. Jesus didn't. And so, what can people of privilege learn from this story? Check your defensiveness. I, I, was, I just finished reading the late James H. Cohn's uh, posthumously published book, uh, Said I Wasn't Gonna Tell Nobody, The Making of a, a Black Theologian. And in one portion, Cohn recounts how many of his white listeners responded when he spoke out on his loving his own blackness and embracing black power. This is uh, uh, from, if you have the Kindle version of the book, it's from Kindle Location 592. But he, he, he wrote, when I spoke of loving blackness and embracing black power, they heard hate toward white people. Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, and James Baldwin confronted similar reactions. Any talk about the love and beauty of blackness seemed to arouse fear and hostility in whites. This week, we can do better than defensiveness. And in this story of Jesus, I hear the call to lay mine down. Straight people, uh, we can choose to listen to LGBTQ people rather than be defensive. White people, we can choose to listen to people of color rather than, than, than be defensive. Cis men can choose to listen to women, both cis and trans, rather than being defensive. And, and cis folk can choose to listen to trans folk rather than being defensive. Non-disabled folk can choose to listen to disabled folk rather than be defensive. Wealthy people can choose to listen to the poor and the working class rather than than be defensive. Uh, Wisdom, it's not the sole property of those who are the most widely read or who have gained the most academic accomplishments. Another world is possible, but we're going to have to learn to listen to those whose experiences are less privileged and end the very system of privilege if we're to get there. Remember our text this week when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Heart group application this week, can you name a time when when listening to someone else's experience 
that made a significant change in your understanding. Number two, share with the group this week uh, what it was that actually changed, what it was that actually shifted. And then number three, how can you make a practice out of learning to listen to others and, and be creative? And then number four, lastly, choose something from this discussion and, and put it into practice this week. Thanks for checking in with us this week. I'm so glad you're here. Today, choose love. Choose compassion, uh, choose taking action, and, and, and seek justice. Together, we can choose to take steps toward a world that is a safe, compassionate, just home for us all. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.